Hey everyone Today I'd like to take a little trip through history again And we're going to explore one of the oldest and most important cities in Russia which is Veliki Novgorod and we're seeing the symbol of the city here on the front of this beautiful old book this is the cathedral of Saint Sophia the cathedral of holy wisdom I'm seeing here the title being this is a German Groß Novgorod or Great Novgorod in Russian Veliki Novgorod and before we open this book here let's start off by getting our bearings and figuring out where to find the city So we're starting off with this map of Europe here where we can see the different mountains and flatlands and if we look for Novgorod the first city that I think most people notice is right here but this is Nizhny Novgorod which means something like uh, the lower Novgorod, meaning uh, downstream from, for example, Moscow. This is also quite an old city from the 12th or 13th century and one of the biggest ones in Russia today, so I think most people have probably heard of it. Uh, it was also called Gorky for a while. But the one that we're looking for is a bit smaller. It's right here. So tucked in next to a lake, Lake Ilmen, and the longer river, and the longer river, the Volchow, going up to Lake Lagoda, which is the largest lake in Europe, by the way. And from there, you can take the Neva to the Gulf of Finland and get to the Baltic Sea so I think it's already noticeable that this is actually not a bad place and in fact th this is a bit of a bias that I have I come from right here so there's a lot of mountains around and my impression was always that if the land is rather flat it's quite easy to travel so I saw this and I assumed all oh, this flat land it must be really easy to get from one place to the other quite fast but as a matter of fact it's actually quite difficult to travel 
or used to be. You have plenty of forests here, they're quite dense and you can see plenty of lakes here, so lots of wetlands. So this wasn't easy at all, but you did have these rivers and lakes and many of them are quite close together. If we're briefly looking at the side of the book here, it actually starts off saying that if you're taking one of the northern or western routes to Moscow to fly in, you fly over this area with forests and lakes and some hills. These are the Valdai Hills between the Baltic Sea and the Ural. So here in this area. They're quite popular for little trips, especially from Moscow. And what's really fascinating about it is that you have the Volga starting there, as well as the Dnieper, right here, and a couple of other uh, rivers that are very close together. Meaning that if you take a close look, you will notice that from this little place of land, Coming in from the Baltic, you cross a little bit of land, get to the Volga, which you can then follow all the way to the Caspian Sea. Or you take the Dnieper, or Dnieper as it's written here, follow it to get to the Black Sea and Constantinople or Istanbul then into the Mediterranean and ultimately from this little place here you are connected to the north, the east and the south and that made Veliki Novgorod a really really important place little book here. I only noticed this at the very end. Also has a little illustration of that river system. So a Novgorod would be number 15 right here. We have the Iman Lake. We have the Volkhov going to Lake Lagoda and the Neva to the Baltic Sea. And then these smaller rivers here that lead to Lake Ilmen, like the Imsta here, really isn't that far away from the Volga, which would be here. And I don't know where exactly the crossing happened, but I imagine it was 
one of the places where you didn't have to cross a lot of land. So you really get to the Volga with relative ease. And the same is true for the Dnieper. I don't know, my might go here, like this. He also had the Dvina, which would lead up to Riga, so also an important and old city right here. And you might remember this from a previous video, it's the one on the Vikings around the Hanseatic League, where Novgorod turned up. These were really, really important trade routes, especially to East Rome and then uh, Constantinople and the Ottoman Empire. There's also a little illustration in here on how the boats were moved across land. They were dragged with a specific system and sometimes also carried if they were smaller vessels by the Volochania. And to make sure that they found the right way, they put these stone signs along the way. This is the Merla cross. I'm not sure what the inscription says here, but I imagine it gave some information on the area, things that you have to be careful about. that you had to know. And if I remember correctly, you could also find some of these uh, stones with runes along the ways of the Varangians. After all, the way along the Nieper was put Isvariak Greki, the way from the Varangians to the Greeks. So from Scandinavia all the way down to the Mediterranean. And we have an illustration of these connections in this book. There we go. So you can see these extensive trade routes and how Novgorod is at this really important point here. We have the route past Riga, we have a route even further north that you can see here, which would be really important for example for trading with furs. You have the Volga routes and this route past Kiev to the Greeks a little further. The Volga and the Dnieper are the largest and third largest rivers in Europe, 
and I guess theoretically from the Black Sea you could also get onto the second largest river, the Danube, but at the time I don't know if there was much there. So the history of Novgorod dates back to the 9th century. However, there's another little mystery there, and that's in the name. Novgorod means new city, and that implies that there must have been an older one there beforehand. We think that the city was here. Brodische, or Yurikovo Brodische, as it's called today which means something like Rurik's Hill Fort, so it's a bit of a certified uh, settlement. Probably uh, under the rule of Rurik. And he's a really important figure in the history of this place. He was from Scandinavia, probably from Gotland, um, or probably some other place in Sweden. And he was from Scandinavia, probably from some place in Sweden, maybe Gotland, but it's not quite sure. And he first ruled from Lagoda and then later moved his seat further south, probably to this place. The dynasty that he founded ruled until about 1600 when Novgorod came under the rule of the Duchy of Moscow. His son moved a little further south to Kyiv and there founded the Kievan Rus. And the name Rus probably comes from this area in Sweden where they were from. So a very important family and a very important figure. Gorodice is only about two kilometers from the center of Novgorod itself. And again, we think that Novgorod dates back to the year 862. That's the date that's used for our celebrations, etc. Um, however, it could also be that it's a little bit younger. You know, they might not be from the 9th but from the 10th century. I think for us, it's fair to say these are details that archaeologists will figure out eventually. Either way, it's a very, very old city and one that really did prosper back then. In the Kievan Rus, Novgorod was the second most important city and the young princess would often come to Novgorod to rule there. We can see what these cities looked like back then with the fortifications and the churches at the center. There were close ties to Norway of course, 
trip routes went through Novgorod to Scandinavia but also some of the Norwegian rulers found refuge in Novgorod when they ran into trouble. One of the most important princes was Jaroslav the Wise. Funnily, in Norse texts he's called Jaroslav the Lame. That was because he had an injury and he was lame. In Novgorod he was really, really popular though, so they called him Jaroslav the Wise. And around the time of his rule, it's this beautiful cathedral. We've already seen the outline on the front cover. The Cathedral of St. Sophia. Unfortunately, there are only black and white pictures here, so you can't see how stunning it looks. The walls are clear white, and the domes are gold. It is not named after a saint, so there was no Saint Sophia that gave the name to the cathedral. Rather, the name refers to the wisdom of God, so it's a Greek word, Sophia. Just think of the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. It has its name for the same reason. It's said that in the towers and the domes there used to be the treasury and a huge library. The old books of the library are in St. Petersburg today, but a newer library has been founded here, so you can find some books here, as it was before. There are a number of frescoes inside, and famous bronze gates from the late Middle Ages. You can see here religious figures from the clergy. Here's a lion with a beautiful mane. and these cute round ears and here it says these are allegorical figures I guess for the power of Novgorod and its success I find that very dramatic shape a bit funny <laughs> very But again, there's a lot of beautiful detail here, and it took a lot of skill to create these gates and shapes. And just look at these nice patterns. They're really gorgeous. And like I said, the cathedral became a symbol for the entire city and the Novgorodians were quite, quite proud people 
If they didn't like a prince that ruled them, they would tell him, we have no prince, only gold, the truth and holy wisdom. And wherever this holy wisdom is, wherever Saint Sophia is, there's no God. In fact, they ruled over quite a large area. It's all the way to the Ural Mountains. This was not heavily populated. But you know, it's about the influence that you have over the area. Over here, we can see the Antoniev Monastery. Which looks really beautiful too. I quite like the dimensions of this building. And these round towers. There's something else that, that's really fascinating about Novgorod. Like I said, they were uh, quite proud people. And apart from the prince, they also had um, another structure to rule the city. One of the most important figures was the Posadnik, which was the mayor. And the mayor was not appointed, but rather elected. And um, we can see that here, in a way. This is a bell that's being rung to assemble the Veche. That's just a public assembly, basically the legislative of Novgorod. And the people who come to the Veche are boyars that landowners or the local aristocracy. So it's not quite the kind of democracy that we might think of today where everyone could participate. But it was still quite impressive, especially for that time. They came together, they discussed the laws they wanted to have or to change. Um, they appointed the mayor, they you know, discussed if they liked the prince or not. But then, of course, there was also the Archbishop, who was not appointed by the Vece, who had a little bit to say. And I also don't mean to imply that the princes did not have any power. There are ones like Alexander Nevsky, who are still commemorated today. Uh, for example, with a large statue in Novgorod, if you visit today. And then we seen a map like this before, you might remember. This is the city center with the river running through. This is a large bridge that connects the two sides. Here would be the Kremlin with the wall around it and the towers. There's St. Sophia's Cathedral. And behind the cathedral is where the, uh, where the bell for the Vece was rung. Famously, Novgorod consists of five different parts to the city. 
three on uh, Sophia's side and two on the merchant or trade side. There's the native end, as it's called. Uh, here says Vorstadt Fünftel, which would translate to something like suburban end. Uh, it was called Segorutsky, so beyond the city, meaning it was added to the city a bit later. This would be the Ljudin end, people's or potter's end, the carpenter's end, uh, another one that was added a bit later, and the Slavno end. So again, this is where the trade happened on this side here. And we can see here, this is the um, street of the Varangians. And it says Yaroslav Courtier, but I think this part, Deutsche Hofer here, um, this would have been the Petershof of the Hanseatic League. So, quite important, the easternmost contour of the Hanseatic League. For a long time, Novgorod kept growing. In the 11th century, there were up to 15,000 people living there. And two centuries later, the population had doubled to probably almost 30,000. There are very old texts there. The codified Russian law. We know it was one of the very few cities where most people were literate. And that's in fact one of my favorite parts about Novgorod. Unfortunately, the illustrations are not in this book. We know of this boy called Omfin. He was seven years old when he did his homework. So he drew on birch bark, which was used instead of paper. And he not only practiced writing the alphabet, but also drew illustrations of himself and his friends as these fearsome guys in battle. Very, very cool. Um, I linked them in the comments. And I think my favorite um, detail about it is that apparently he didn't know how to count yet. So sometimes he drew three fingers on a hand and sometimes up to eight. But there's something just really, really lovely about seeing these details of children in the past. Novgorod did withstand a lot of fights. Uh, the Mongols came from the east, but then there entered the swampland around the city. The Swedes and Danes and Germans all attacked from the west at some point. But Novgorod succeeded. Eventually though, in about 1500, it was annexed by the Duchy of Moscow. And the luck started to turn. Ivan the Terrible looted the city. The Hanseatic League slowly lost its important status. 
and it all led to depopulation. Apparently the uh, Sophia's side at one point was completely deserted. Trade did continue, but when St. Petersburg was founded, a lot of it went past St. Petersburg and it became the dominant city in the area. In the last 200 years though, Novgorod has started to grow again. Today it has more than 200,000 inhabitants and it's been voted as one of the most livable cities in Russia. It also got its old name Veliki Novgorod back. So people remember the great past. And again, it's not really far away from St. Petersburg. That's here. That's just about 150 kilometers. I was hoping to visit St. Petersburg today and maybe take a little trip here to Veliki Novgorod and I'm still hoping that that's going to be possible at some point. But for now we have these stories that we can listen to so we experience these different places. I hope you found this as fascinating as I did. Thank you very much for watching. Please be kind if you leave a comment. And uh, have a good night. See you again soon.